0: gonna put this on? What else do we have in here? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Just hold them up. Okay. Yeah. Alright. Goodness. What do you do with all this stuff? I have no idea. You have no idea. <laughs> All right. Um, do you ride horses? Yes. Yeah? All right. Well, I think I heard that you like dressing up to be a cowboy. So, you know, this kind of reminds me of a story in the Bible um, where God tells us to put on the full armor so that we can take a stand against um, the devil. And just like you have that hat and the vest and the pants and... All that good cowboy stuff. It reminds me of the belt of truth, and the breastplate of righteousness, and the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword. And I don't know where your cowboy boots are. Are You wearing them?
1: Yes.
0: All right. (laughs) Well, those remind me to, um, you know, they protect your feet when you're riding that horse. And God sends us out on missions and. Um, just like you put those boots on, God sends us to places that he wants us to go. <clears throat> oh, okay, take it all off. It's okay. Do you want to put it back in the bag? Or take it, it The bag goes to a girl this time. Okay. And it's Emily Rose. Okay, Emily Rose. Your turn for the Happy Club bag. All right, let's say a prayer, and then you guys can go to Children's Church if you would like. Pray after me, dear God. Dear God, help us, help us to put on the full armor of God, to put on a full armor of God, so that we can stand for You. So we can stand for You. Amen. 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 All right, you guys can go to children's special needs box.
2: No mountain No
0: Please stand and join with me as we sing, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. you for this day and thank you for letting us all come here today. Uh, Thank you that we have the freedom to come and worship you. Please be with this offering that we're about to receive and let it go to the betterment of your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.
3: Thank you to our young people who are assisting today. This is Youth Week, and and the service this evening will be led entirely by our youth, and we are certainly looking forward to that. Um, Special music this morning was by Jennifer Street, who is Jim and Sandy Donovan's daughter, and we appreciate her leading us in worship in that manner. This is the first Sunday of Lent Um, Ash Wednesday was this past Wednesday, and we have seven Sundays leading up to Easter Sunday to get ready for Easter. I don't always observe the liturgical calendar, but seasons like Advent and Lent, I think, are helpful because it enables us to prepare for important Christian events in the calendar, and I don't want those important events to sneak up on us. So I try to get into a sermon series, which I'm doing this morning, The first sermon, um, I think last year I did seven sermons on the I am sayings of Jesus. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life uh, found in the Gospels. There's also in John's Gospel seven signs, wonders, miracles that Jesus does that are explicitly called signs by John. And uh, he doesn't use the word miracle or wonder. He uses the word sign because John wants us to understand that when Jesus does something, it is not just to wow the crowds. It's not just to uh, make an impression. It is to prove to those who observe that he is the son of God. And when John proves that, his hope is that you will believe in him. Over and over again in John's gospel, there is an emphasis on belief. As a matter of fact, at the end of John's gospel, he says why he wrote it. John 20, verse 31, I have written these things that you might believe that Jesus is God's son and believing you may have life in his name. So these seven signs, they're found in John 2 through 12. Matter of fact, those, those chapters are often called the book of signs because in these chapters there are seven signs that Jesus performs that prove his identity. The first sign is turning the water into wine in John chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. I thought this week I might have a, a, a visual display here of a bottle of water and a bottle of wine But I didn't know any Baptist I could get a bottle of wine from, so we're just going to do without that this morning. John 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a marriage at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the marriage with his disciples. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, O woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That's an interesting exchange. And then what follows is even more interesting because his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now six stone jars were standing there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the steward of the feast. So they took it. When the steward of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first, and when men have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. Now look at this, verse 11, this is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. You see the emphasis on belief as a result of this first sign which Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. Let's pray. Father, as we gather here today to worship, We thank you that you are a God that transforms the ordinariness of life into the spectacular. Father, help us to be obedient. So when you want to do something miraculous in our lives, we'll be ready. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When teachers teach, they know the importance of using visual pictures to help communication. That's how I learn. If somebody says something, I can't remember it. But if I can write it down and look at it, I remember it much more easily. And so often now you go into classrooms and teachers aren't just lecturing anymore, but they are using overheads. They are using laptop computers. They're using PowerPoint Um, presentations, anything they can to get a visual image implanted in the mind of the students. That's what Jesus does. He uses picturesque language to communicate. John's purpose in writing his gospel is to prove that Jesus is the Son of God and in proving that for you to believe that you might believe in his name and the power of God be made manifest in you. So to prove this, Jesus performs seven signs. Miracles, they're called in the other Gospels. Signs, they're called in John's Gospel, which give evidence that Jesus is God's Son. So in these opening chapters of John's Gospel, these next seven weeks, on your front of your bulletin, you see seven signs, and notice they're all pointing up to the Father because that is the purpose of the seven signs. And we will go up each week, and, and end up on Easter Sunday in the culmination of the seven signs, which is where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. There is a, an outline in your worship bulletin for you to follow along. Because I want us to see what happens when Jesus goes to a wedding. At this wedding, Jesus is invited along with his disciples. Why? And what transpired? We don't know whose wedding it was. Maybe it was a friend of Mary's. Incidentally, they never John never uses Mary as the name for Jesus' mother. He always says the mother of Jesus. Well, maybe it was a relative of the mother of Jesus. Maybe it was a friend, but for some reason Mary feels responsibility when they run out of wine. It could have been a close friend of the family. We don't know whose wedding it was, but we know this much. A wedding was one of the most festive and joyous occasions in Jesus' day. You've got to remember, 2,000 years ago in Palestine, it was a bleak existence. Food was scarce, water was scarce. Um, Opportunities to celebrate were very rare. And so when a wedding comes along, people are ready to celebrate. In marriages in Jesus' day, they were far different than they are today. The first formal step of courtship was called betrothal. It occurred in a culture where a diamond engagement ring was out of the question, so the bridegroom would present the, the prospective bride with a piece of paper which was a legal form of commitment. They were committed to each other. And for a long time after that, the bride and the groom would would remain committed. They were betrothed. That was the condition of Mary and Joseph when Mary became uh, pregnant with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. After several weeks of betrothal where the groom, I suppose, is saving money for the, the wedding, on the wedding night, the bride would be led from her father's house to the groom's, and it was a long procession. And all along the path... There'd be many people standing along the way. You know the parable of the, uh, the ten maidens. They were holding lamps to light the way. And as they made their way to the groom's house, a parade. All those standing along the, the procession would join in the parade because they were going to the groom's house. And there was going to be a party and a lot of food. When they arrived at the groom's house, the bride was presented to him, a solemn prayer would be uttered, a ceremonial washing of hands would be performed, and then the festivities would begin, sometimes lasting several days as the people ate and drank and laughed and hated for it to end. It was the most joyous event in the occasion of a a small village. And the Bible says Jesus was right there smack dab in the middle of it. And I think that's important, because when there was a party, Jesus did not avoid it. Jesus was in the middle of it. He did not frown upon people who were having a good time. Jesus was happy, and he laughed, and he drank of the joys of life in all of its fullness. And I think he wants you and me as Christians to do the same. After all, we as Christians have every reason in the world to be happy. We have our sins forgiven. We have our worries about the future dissolved. We have living within us the one who is greater than the powers of this world, and we ought to be the happiest people on the face of the earth because Jesus and joy go hand in hand. One of my favorite stories about joyless Christians I heard in seminary, a pastor was preaching, and he said that that This man was, was riding on a train one day, and he just looked sour and, and unhappy. And someone came up to him and said, pardon me, sir, are you a minister? And he said, no, I've just been real sick recently. <laughs> Thank you, choir. <laughs> Why is it? That, that when somebody sees someone looking down in the mouth, they assume they're Christians. We ought to be happy. We have so much to celebrate. When Moses came to Pharaoh, the first plague he did was turning water into blood, signifying the judgment of God. When Jesus came into the world, the first sign he did was turning water into wine, signifying the joy of God's good news. So that was the occasion. It was a wedding. But something goes terribly wrong. that cast a shadow over this otherwise joyous occasion. Verse 3 says, The wine gave out. That may not be a big deal in a wedding today, but in Jesus' day, it was a source of embarrassment to the groom and his family. So in the midst of their rejoicing, a problem arises. And doesn't that seem... The way it happens so often, you have something to celebrate and you're excited, you're looking forward to an important event, and right in the middle of it, there's a snag, there's something that goes wrong. An obstacle will arise, that casts a dark shadow of gloom over our lives. That happens so often. Success, sometimes shattered by failure. Carefully laid plans, shattered by an unexpected turn of events, a, a friendship, shattered by a misunderstanding. Often it rains on our parades, we're in the middle of having fun and something unexpected comes into our lives and it takes a, a sharp turn and everything goes awry. I'll never forget the day I turned my dissertation in at seminary. I had worked on it for two years. Susan would say it seemed a lot longer than that. My deadline was a Friday afternoon at five o'clock and I stayed up all night the night before typing and editing and printing and and filling in little marks. Took it to Kinko's Friday morning, had it all Xeroxed, ready to turn in. And uh, I got it to the advisor's desk at 2.30 in the afternoon, and Susan was there to take pictures, and it was a great day. We had dinner reservations at a local steak restaurant we were going to celebrate. About an hour later, we were home getting ready. And uh, my church and seminary was a small rural church, and uh, the deacon chairman called me. He had a daughter living in North Carolina, and he called to say uh, that the little baby girl that she and her husband had had about six months earlier, they found in the crib sudden infant death syndrome, SIDS. So instead of celebrating that evening, Susan and I found ourselves driving out to our church in silence, facing a family with overwhelming grief, something that was supposed to be a joyous occasion had gone terribly wrong. And, and after that, it was so painful we could never really get up for celebrating again. So life for the Christian is not always fun and games that produce joy and laughter, Sometimes things happen. Shatters our our lives. We've had that happen in the past two weeks here at church with just an unexpected number of, of deaths affecting our church family. In the middle of of things that should be happy, something unexpected comes in. And there's sadness. So what do you do? Thirdly, I want you to notice the omnipotence of Jesus. That means his power. And the main point of this sign, turning water into wine, is to Jesus to illustrate his transforming power in dealing with those obstacles that come unexpectedly, almost inexplicably into our lives. Verse 3 says that when Mary heard they ran out of wine, she immediately turned to Jesus. And then verse 4 gives us a strange encounter between the two. Oh woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And then Mary turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. How do you explain that? What does this exchange mean? Well, first of all, the term woman is not a term Of disrespect as it might be today. It was a term of tenderness in Jesus' day. It might be mom or mother. Jesus was not being disrespectful to his mom. He was was merely indicating that he and she were seeing a problem from two different perspectives. The next word, what have you to do with me, literally the Greek says, what to you and to me. What is this to you and to me? The what is the problem? To you, you're seeing it from one side. To me, I'm seeing it from another side. Mary was concerned about appearances at the wedding. Jesus was concerned about his purpose for coming into the world. He wanted her to understand that he did not come to perform miracles and wow an audience or do her bidding... Jesus came to be the Redeemer of mankind. That is what his response means. But once he clarified that, Jesus decided then to use this situation to initiate his purpose. In the midst of this dialogue, this much is clear. There was a need, and after Jesus explained to Mary they were looking at it differently, he set about to meet the need. And this experience is a sign of what Jesus is doing in our world all the time. He has the power to transform not just water into wine, an even greater sign is transforming a sinner into a child of God. When Jesus comes into a person's life, he transforms that life from the inside out. He takes all that which is sinful and he makes it clean and forgiven. He has the power to meet every need And overcome every obstacle and satisfies every longing of the soul. That's his power. But notice the next point. The overabundance. Superfluous abundance. Because not only does Jesus meet our need, but he does it with overabundance. They needed a little bit more wine to finish the party. Jesus says, take those six stone jars and fill them with water. Six stone jars containing 20 or 30 gallons, that would be somewhere between what? 120 and 180 gallons of wine? How much is that? That's enough for 10 parties. When Jesus meets a need, he does it with an overabundance. He doesn't just squeak by. When he used the five loaves and two fish to feed the 5,000, how much was left over? Twelve baskets full. When Jesus goes to work, there is enough to meet the need and then enough to meet a lot of needs from then on. He works in ways beyond our wildest dreams because little is much when God is in it. And not only that, but he saves the best for last. The wine that Jesus produced was far better than the wine that they had begun the party with. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. The more you spend time with him, the longer you walk with him, the better it gets as he overabundantly meets your needs. But there's a final item I want you to see here that's important that grows out of this story that that we don't always notice because it doesn't fit into our plans. People reading this story might say, well, I see where Jesus turned water into wine and a miracle is performed. Why doesn't he do that for me? Why doesn't it happen for me? Why don't I experience this transforming power of Jesus? Well, one answer might be that they don't meet the requirement of obedience. Look what happens, verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you, and they do it. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they do it. He said, now draw some out and take it to the steward, and they do it. What, What point am I trying to make? Everything that Jesus told somebody to do, they did because the point of obedience is a necessary factor when Jesus performs a miracle. It takes place only when people are obeying the Lord. And it's the same way with the next six signs in John's Gospel that we're going to look at. Miracles, wonders, signs do not just happen. Obedience is always a prerequisite. We want to experience the transforming power of God in our lives. We want to see His glory. We want God to take our obstacles, our problems, and and work in our lives in an overabundant way and solve them. But most of the time, we're not willing to do what it takes to be obedient to His commands to make that result happen. Those of you who've had chemistry know that in an experiment, that if A plus B plus C equals D. You've got to have those three ingredients, A, B, and C. It equals D. What happens if you leave out C? You have A plus B. Can you expect D? No. Was the formula at fault? No. The problem was not with the formula. The problem is with you, that you left out a necessary ingredient. And it's the same way in the Christian life. We often pick and choose the commandments that that are easy, that we like, that we want to obey, and we neglect all the others. And then we don't experience the abundance and the joy that Jesus promises. And we throw up our hands and say, Christianity doesn't work. And all the while, the formula doesn't lie. I mean, the problem doesn't lie with the formula. It lies with us. Here's the formula. Repentance. Plus acceptance, plus obedience, equal abundant life. If you have repentance and acceptance, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I receive you as my Lord and Savior, but you are not obedient. How can you expect to have the abundant life that God intends for you? I'll tell you why we're not obedient. It's because we don't trust God enough to know that he has our best interest at heart. When God commands you to do something, Listen to me. It's not arbitrary. It's not to be mean. It's not judgmental. It's because He put you together and He knows what makes you tick. And He knows that by obeying Him, you'll be happy. If you leave obedience out, you only rob yourself of the happiness that God has in store for you. This is the formula. The stewards were obedient. A miracle occurred. And it'll work every time if you put in the necessary ingredients and obey. So when Jesus went to a wedding, a first sign happened. Mary said, fix it, do something. Jesus said, it's not quite how I want this to happen. But nevertheless, I can take this, this situation and turn it around and initiate my purpose for this world, which is to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. And having proven that, that you and I can believe in his name and have life. There was the occasion. There was a problem. There was a power And not only a power just to get by, but an overabundance of power because folks there were obedient to him. We have similar events and problems in our lives. And Jesus wants to reveal himself to us in power and overabundance, just as he did at this wedding in Cana of Galilee. But obedience is a necessary component for this omnipotent one to work his transforming miracles in our lives today. He is ready to do it. The question is, are we ready to receive it? Shall we bow together? Father, in this first sign, it's an unusual sign, a miracle, where Jesus met a, a simple need at a wedding to prevent the groom from embarrassment. And those who filled up those pots with water and carried them to the steward and, and in that process it was miraculously transformed into wine. Those those servants knew something happened. His disciples were watching and they knew something happened. And from that point on, Jesus began began to prove who he was. And in proving, provide an opportunity for those who saw what happened to believe. Father, we want to believe we want Jesus to come into our lives and work transforming miracles in and around us. But so often we neglect that, that un- uncomfortable ingredient called obedience. And we're left wondering why it doesn't happen for us. Where we are weak, O oh Lord, strengthen us because we cannot do it alone. So help us trust you and love you enough to get out of the way and let you work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing an invitational hymn this morning, number 320, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. If this is your heart's desire, to turn and focus on him, to take your eyes off the problems of the world and the problems that surround you, I'll be at the front to receive you if you'd like to profess your faith or rededicate your life or join this church. Little Jalen Kelly made her profession of faith public in the early service, and the doors remain open for you. God is ready with outstretched arms to receive you. Please come. We'll stand together and sing 320 Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus.